examine these shards of wisdom with electronic devices, or by simply putting yourself into a trance-induced state where the temporal flow slows to about a thousandth of the norm. Welcome to another episode of Square Waves FM. Today is episode number 56. Am I? Do I have it right this time? Yeah, this time it's really 56. Yeah, sorry about last time. I guess I must have not been looking carefully at our notes. So, no, yes. I, I think you did look carefully at our notes and I wrote down the wrong number, like a dingwad. That sounds like something you do. So, yes, 56 this time, folks. 56, not 55, 56. Yay. Um, and today we have the uh, distinct pleasure of having plenty of... Uh, Letters from our listeners. Hooray. So many letters. We're really happy about this. So happy. Thank you, guys. Yes, thank you. So this is going to be mostly um, just us going through the letters we've gotten and having a bit of a discussion. We don't really have a topic today, so this is about you guys and and then whatever we feel about feel like we want to ramble about at the end. So welcome to our Dumbisode, a.k.a. the WarriorWare version of Square Waves FM, where yeah. you get a bunch of little stuff all throughout. Yay. Beep. Beep. So why don't you start us off? Okay. Oh, did we introduce ourselves? I, I think they know. know us by now. Hi. We're, we're us. <laughs> I'm the host. She's the co-host, and I'm going to die soon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. See? A very painful one. Probably something involving a very cold river. Ooh. But at least it won't be a ditch. <laughs> <laughs> What is a river, if not a ditch full of water? Very uh, true. Yeah. All right, what do we got today? Well, we um, have uh, oh. Avi, as usual. As usual. Hi, Avi. Avi, how are you? And he um, emailed us to let us know that he added us to the Game by Game podcast list. That's at gamebygamepodcast.com. It's just like a... It looks a lot like uh, the slash dot kind of a theme. It is just a whole big, great big list of podcasts categorized by video gaming platform. So he put us in the IBM PC category. So thank you so much, man. That's great. Oh, so we're basically in miscellaneous. <laughs> well, no, it's pretty specific as a matter of fact. Miscellaneous! Yay! <laughs> I know it's specific, but miscellaneous. Uh, yeah. Because I like saying that word. Yeah, me too. Miscellaneous. I also like saying penultimate. That's a good word, too. That's a good word. Okay. Moist. Moist? You like that word? No, I just, once again, <laughs> I just said it because it's fun to say, but I don't like the word. <laughs> what? Exactly. Caffeine. Haberdashery. <laughs> what are we talking about? I don't know, but the uh, Upper uh, Memory Blockcast has already, <laughs> has, uh, actually done a show about emulators. They did it back in episode six, so... Yeah, Joe, let us know. Yep, so uh, we can cover it, but then we'd just be a bunch of uh, stinky copycats, and we don't want to be a bunch of smelly copycats, do we? Well, I guess we already are if we did his show much later than his. He did his, like, years ago. True, but he did emulators, not virtual not virtual machines. Oh, this is true. Well, we'll talk about emulators someday, anyway. I guess we could. We're copycats. We have no shame. No, we don't. No. 
Um, so I'll put a link to that. It's episode number six. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes. And if you're not listening to the Upper Memory Block podcast, then what on earth are you doing? Turn off this swill and put on something good, will you? <laughs> and in case, you know, you're not following me, uh, Dave Gilbert, Edward and I, Francisco Gonzalez, or any of those folks, I'm sure you're, you've been living under a rock and don't know that Shardlight's been out. But Yay! if you've been following them, I'm pretty sure at this point, you know that Shardlight has been released. Hooray! Case, you haven't noticed, Shardlight has been released. Finally! <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. And it's been such a tease lately, too, because... Uh, in the weeks leading up to Shardlight being released, I kept seeing Francisco uh, log on to Steam, and it would say Francisco Gonzalez is now playing Shardlight. And I'm thinking to myself, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I want that to be me. But now it is me. Well, technically, it's me, because well, I'm the one who runs it. You sit there in your chair, twiddling your thumbs while I play the game. This is true. Yeah, because Bianca got farther than I did while we were beta testing the game, she kind of knows everything about everything. Right now, it's always fun uh, looking at a game that you beta tested and seeing seeing what's changed. The introduction was a big change for me. I have to admit, it was I didn't see that coming, but I kind of like it. At least it kind of it sort of frameworks the game a bit. Oh, just the text before you mean? Yeah, that's the only change that I don't really like so far. Because they seem to have added some more details, lots of animations, some more descriptions. Mm -hmm. um, that text initially, I mean, when we were beta testing, you start right away um, as Amy in the sewer. And you're and climbing now, down to go to the reactor. Yeah. And now there's like four or five sentences of text before that to kind of give you context. I felt like it didn't really need it because you really learn all you need to know about the world soon enough. I kind of liked gradually uh, learning that stuff instead of kind of having it dumped on you. It yeah. makes it more about the world than about the character. Somehow. True, but I, I found it didn't take away enough. I mean, it could it could work either way, but I didn't mind it. Oh, it's like 25 seconds or something. It's not really a big deal. I'm mm -hmm. just being I'm being very critical because I want to I want to put all my attention into it, which is why uh, we only played some of it this week because I had a hard, busy week of work and I was kind of depleted of energy by the time I got home. Yeah. So my attention was starting to lapse the several mm -hmm. times that we played it. Mm -hmm. But uh, hopefully we'll finish it this week. Hopefully. I do like that there is at least already one Wajirai game reference in there when you first come out of the sewer as Amy and you click on the car sitting there. Oh, yeah. I didn't notice that either. You're the one who noticed that. It's the Golden Wake uh, jalopy, isn't it? Yeah, and in fact, when Amy clicks it, she uh, makes a comment about who it might have belonged to. Oh, I didn't notice that. What did she say? Do you remember? Oh, she was she was saying, oh, it's this old car. It must have belonged to some sort of important person or a salesman. <laughs> That's cute. Mm-hmm. That's pretty subtle. I'm glad you got that. I didn't. I, I didn't catch that line, but looking at it, it just kind of uh, blended with scenery for me. It's nice that they have a little treat like that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it really did blend with the scenery when it was in beta. When it was in beta, but now that there's like all this dialogue and these additional descriptors, I as soon as she said it, I'm like, oh yeah, that. But I think if I hadn't played the uh, Golden Wake, I would have totally missed that reference. It would have just been. In fact, oh, sure. I think she did make a comment to that extent, and I just and I just brushed it off when I was beta testing. But now that I've uh, hmm. played the other game, I'm like, haha, I get the reference. Yeah, well, why did I in general? That's kind of their style. They reward you for having been loyal to their series. Mm -hmm. We still need to play Resonance, and I own but have not played too much of Gemini Rue. 
We should play both of those. I have Gemini Rue as well. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we'll play yours and I'll watch you. Mm-hmm. Although you don't like waiting for me, I know, to come home. Anyway. Yeah, whatever. Oh, and we have to congratulate uh, that team for breaking Wajidai's pre-sale record. That is amazing. That's fantastic. We're so proud of you guys. Mm-hmm. We're very, very happy for you. Well, we wish you so much success. I off. I mean, <laughs> posting every 10 minutes on his Twitter will really get people's attention. <laughs> I know. That's just how it is when you're a little studio and you're launching a game. Mm-hmm. You have What's to... What's ex- marketing strategy that worked? Sure. I mean, we love those guys, so we don't mind at all. Yeah. It's uh, heavy-handed, sure, but... Uh, I know they have to account for people that are reading Twitter at different times of day and different time zones and all that kind of stuff. Of course, of course. It's cool. <laughs> so, boy, we wish you guys so much success and so much luck. We hope that you've already found it, as a matter of fact. I hope that pre-sale, uh, the, the, sorry, the yeah, the pre-whatever you call it. Pre-ordering. Thank you. I mean, we hope the pre-ordering is indicative of your success overall. Yeah. And I'm... Uh, curious to see what they decide that they want to do next because they've done it's interesting that they've done two future type games one kind of utopian one very dystopian because techno babylon would say look more was not was was not dystopian it was i think oh sure gemini rue and gemini rue is also um dystopian future and uh resonance i don't know enough about i think it might also be so they're they're pretty uh they're, those are kind of standard settings for adventure games, I would say. And you and I were talking about this a little while ago. I mean, we're beating a dead horse here, I think. But uh, that's something that I, when I put my finger on it, that's something that I liked so much about A Golden Wake was the fact that it was so grounded. You're not the chosen one. You're not uh, someone with superpowers. You no. don't really change the tide of history in, in any gigantic way you just kind of have these like little pushes here and there that influence things to some degree true but at the same time you but the character themselves have has has illusions of uh, has grandiose self delusions sure which actually which is in a way in which is despite that it is quite grounded which makes sense because yeah. then because people can themselves can have these delusions that they're somehow the most important thing in the fucking world but they're really not i like that the game itself has is grounded but the character is not yes yeah i appreciate the fact that it's a historical historically grounded game but about a fictional character which means that they are uh they you know the what's going to happen around them is already prescribed but what happens to this fictional character there is some freedom mm-hmm. so it's both a constraint and a way to let it be free, which is really neat. Because mm-hmm. you, because for a from a creative perspective, you have, and you already have a prescribed environment in which to work, and how you work with it is where you uh, is how you uh, draw on your creative juices. Because mm-hmm. it, because uh, sometimes those constraints themselves can lend themselves lend well to developing a whole new world and a whole new uh, perspective on a different sto- on a story. Yeah, sure. Well, in a situation like that, your protagonist has to visit all of these historically relevant uh, uh, proceedings without influencing them too greatly, or at least you can't change any of them. Mm-hmm. So that's all right. Mm-hmm. Why, why did I see Coral Gables recently? I saw Coral Gables in the news recently, or something very close to it. And I, I don't know, probably something involving Florida Man. <laughs> oh, yeah, the adventures of Florida Man. <laughs> that guy's always getting into shenanigans, yeah. ain't he? And then recently Florida Woman made headlines. Oh, must be his wife. Yeah, it must be. <laughs> That's great. We live in such progressive times. I'm so proud. Oh, I know. 
What else we got? Day of the Tentacle Remastered. Huzzah! That's coming out in like two weeks. That's fantastic. So you can pre-order it on GOG today. And uh, according to Double Fine's Twitter account, they confirmed that it will also be available on Steam. We had a, I had a discussion about this with some uh, folks on Twitter. A lot of people, rightfully so, understandably, are uh, championing GOG for being a DRM-free platform. Whereas I and uh, Joe Mestriani um, both said that we sort of feel like we'd like to buy, you know, good old games with the emphasis on old on the GOG platform and uh, buy everything else on Steam. Oh, what the hell? It's on Steam now? Yep. I just decided to look it up because you were talking about it and then that would give you a chance to babble. Oh, thank you. That's oh, great. It looks pretty good. Oh, it looks so awesome. I added it to my wish list so when it comes out. I can buy it. Oh, so which one of us is going to buy this? Me, 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 me. You, you, because... Um, Remember, uh, you said that you wanted me to play it on opening day. I know and, I do. And uh, you already have the DOS version. Okay. We can buy it for you. However, I, at some point, am going to want to play it with commentary, whereas you probably will not. I can play it with commentary. And besides which, you can always use my oh, account to play it, remember? You're what? Yeah, that's just it. If I'm using your account to play, then you can't play anything while True, but I can play World of Warcraft. I mean, I, I have plenty of characters I can that level can. up. Okay, well then, what are you freaking waiting for, woman? What's this wish list garbage? Pre-order um, it right now. Oh, that's There's no reason. button. Duh. Duh. Okay, then. You, you're, you're done asking what day of the week Friday is on? Kiss my grits. I would, but I prefer them deep fried as hush puppies. Ooh, we got to eat uh, We got to eat some uh, southern Creole food for Bianca's birthday last week. That was pretty sweet. Oh, it was so good. We went to this really good place in downtown Toronto. It's in an, like an old style house, so it's, not, so it's not even like a conventional restaurant layout. It was all these like kind of staggered rooms. And yeah, it was weird. There were like six tables in each room. It was like going in a house where every every room had been turned into like a small restaurant. It was very strange. It was, but it was intimate. It was strange, intimate, but the food was fantastic. It was very good. Well, I should have ordered what you ordered. I had some kind of blackened chicken thing, which could have been spicier. It yeah. was still very good. It was fantastically prepared, and it came with... Uh, it came with uh, lemon beurre blanc, which was awesome, because how can you say no to butter? Yep. That was really good. But you had jambalaya. Mm-hmm. And, was, and my dad, so and my dad, who, who is uh, buying for us, he had gumbo. For appetizers, we had pickled okra, which is absolutely delicious. It was nice. Um, hush puppies and cornbread. Ooh, let's put a call out there because it's every now and then we'll uh, bring up cooking methodologies and such on our podcast. Okay. So... Bianca is my favorite cook, bar none. <laughs> I would rather eat Bianca's cooking than anything anywhere ever. That is the goodness, goodness gracious heavens that crapples honest <laughs> truth. I love your cooking so much. Um, one thing, one of the few things that she's tried that she struggled with that a lot of people struggle with was cooking okra because it gets really slimy. Okra is yummy when it's done correctly, but it seems to take like a lot of preparation, a lot of like soaking or pickling, or I don't know what you have to do exactly. We read that what you bathe it in vinegar for twelve hours yeah. or something. I think I would just get around to pickling it because that would be so awesome. If I was going to pickle something, I think I'd pickle okra. I mean cucumber. Who cares? Big deal. Whoopity doo Yeah, you like pickles better than I do. But you like pickled okra, and it would make kind of a nice accent on it. It was okay. I mean, I had one, and I left the rest for you. I, I like to taste it. I don't like to have too much of it. True. Just because I – look, I would use it as an accent on a dish rather than not. Well, that's true. Well, anyway, the reason I'm bringing it up was that if any of you cooking stars out there know the proper way to de-slime okra, 
to cure it or to soak it or whatever, do let us know. Mm -hmm. That's a tricky vegetable. Yep. And at this point, we still have, we have a holiday dedicated to the de-sliming of okra. <laughs> oh, do we? Oh, yeah. This I got to see. Yeah, you're like, dude, let's put it on our calendar. The de the okra, the great okra de-sliming. Let's look for okra. Oh, it's the sacred feast of okra de-sliming. <laughs> Wheresoever we may slime is the location. It is every November 30th. Okay, we'll have to remember to celebrate with you guys. The Sacred Feast of Okra De-Sliming. Yeah, for those of you wondering why we have this on our calendar, when we uh, got married, we decided we didn't like the idea of celebrating traditional holidays. And uh, aside from birthdays and a few and a couple of other sec uh, secular things, we are like, this religious crap is stupid. So we made all a bunch of our own holidays, and, and it's just complete matter of nonsense, but who cares? It's fun for us. I'm looking for our next holiday. Oh, here it is. Feast of Our Lady of the Suction Cup. <laughs> April 1st. <laughs> I don't know what the hell that's all about. I don't know. But I don't know what any of them are all about. We think <laughs> of some, some really stupid holiday on a whim, and then <laughs> by the time it rolls around the next year, we've forgotten why we made it. But who cares? Mm -hmm. you, and uh, you guys, if you guys have your own... Uh, Special days like that, let us know, because that's cool to see if that we're not the only ones who do this ridiculous crap. Yeah, but we probably are, because we're stupid. Of course. So let's see, what else have we got? Old game mags. Ooh. I old found, game hags? Yeah, you're an old game hag. No, I am. Yeah, you know, you're an old game bag. <sighs> Thanks. <laughs> oh, you're very welcome. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, well, I don't know why I was looking for this. I, um... Quite some time ago, I went to was it the CGW Museum? Yes, indeed, CGWMuseum.org. I learned about this a while ago. Uh, it was a website run by one or more former editors of Computer Gaming World magazine, which was a PC gaming magazine from back in the eighties that survived until the late two thousands or mid two thousands or so. Um, Sorry, CGW Museum. I'll put that in the show notes. So I have every Computer Gaming World issue ever released, and I uploaded them all to Google uh, Google Play Books. Yes, because you can store uh, documents on there uh, for free and read them online or on your Android uh, tablet or whatever. It's uh, a nice way to keep uh, your books. So I was looking for PC Gamer magazines, and I found a few pages of a few magazines here and there, but finally I kind of found the mother load. I found catching about, about <laughs> hey, we'll we'll talk about that uh, code when we uh, chat with Akigo in a few weeks or maybe next week about cheats. Mm -hmm. You buying games while <laughs> I'm blabbering? It was sixty five cents. Oh man, <laughs> what? I gotta work another two and a quarter hours to make that money, woman. So uh, you have to work two and a half minutes. Whatever. <laughs> So I found a whole bunch of uh, PC Gamer issues from the U.S. and the U.K. editions. It was originally from the U.K. It goes back to – the first one I read was from like 1994 and the initial uh, editor's uh, letter. What is it? The editor-in-chief uh, welcome said that it was their second issue of the magazine ever. So that's pretty damn cool. Um, so the website was read.oldgamemags.com. I will, of course, put that in the show notes. They had really nice high-quality PDFs, like suspiciously high-quality PDFs. They're like two or 300 megabytes each, and they don't look like screen scans to me. They look like they might have been the masters that they used for printing, which is a hell of a find. So uh, Google Play Books has a maximum 
file size of 100 megabytes. So I had to install uh, Adobe Acrobat uh, Creative Cloud and convert them down. So it converted them down to about 30 megabytes each, which is one-tenth the size. They still look really good. So that's pretty cool. Recycle, please. Yes, ma'am. Pardon us. We're just recycling. So go check them out. They had uh, more than PC Gamer on there. The, um, they had like 10 or so mostly UK-based PC game magazines. They had magazines for old like ZX Spectrum and Atari computers, lots of other computer systems for consoles. Really, really nice repository. So do go check it out. The only problem with it was that you first get a list. You, you click on the magazine you want. And then you click on the issue you want, and then it gives you a direct download link to the PDF. I wish there was one page with just a bunch of links to PDFs so that I could use a download manager or something to download them all in one go. So it took like an extra click per magazine. But for what I got, it was well worth that small bit of effort. Hooray. All right. Um, I won't go into detail until I have more news on it, but... I am having some issues with my web host right now, with our web host, mm -hmm. which means that you may get or have gotten this uh, episode late. We'll see how that goes. I'm yeah. pretty fed up with my web host one in one I've been with them for about 13 years. I, went, I started uh, with them because they were really cheap. They're still pretty cheap, but they kind of suck. They're not the most reliable. Downloads are pretty slow, and their service is not great. I was just kind of talking on Twitter, threatening to leave one-on-one, -on -one, and their mark, their like uh, retention marketing people uh, got on top of me right away, and they offered me a really good deal if I want to stay for the next year. I usually pay like eighty bucks a year, and they offered me eleven dollars for the whole next year. So I'm doing that for now, um, but I will very likely switch to DreamHost or to some other uh, web host, just something that's more reliable, and hopefully that means you can get your your episodes faster. Yep. Uh, yeah. So hopefully. Uh you can, but we will continue to upload them to Google Music, iTunes, and whatever other, whatever, whatever other service there is. Oh, so here's one of the issues. Um, so Google Play Music will very soon have podcast support. In the meantime, I can look at my Google Play Music page for Square Waves FM just to check on the status. And several of the episodes that were released recently and a long time ago say processing, even though I added it months and months ago. So I talked to Google Play uh, Music support about it. They got back to me in like a day. They were awesome. Maybe even less than a day. They were really awesome. And that detailed. is awesome for such a huge company. It really is. I mean, I guess they really want to incentivize people for using their podcast service, but uh, and I want to give them the chance. So they, I asked them, like, uh, I, I don't have too much trouble downloading any of my episodes. I clicked all the ones that still say processing, and they all downloaded fine. Uh, what's up on their end. So they said they're going to check to see what's up on their end, but they retry individual files 60 times. So that means that 60 times in a row their request failed. So maybe it was just during a maintenance period or something. I don't know, but I'm I'm just fed up with one-on-one. -on -one, so I think I'm going to ditch them. Mm -hmm. Unless this upgrade that they've given me, which should take place in a day or two, really solves a lot of problems. I'm pretty skeptical. True. So whatever, we'll see. But I think we should, I'm thinking maybe we should switch. Use, and just use the uh, interim period to get all our stuff successfully transferred over since we have a lot of files. Yeah, I think so. So related to that, we may have some downtime for our various websites, but uh, whatever, we'll see. Um, 
Okay, we have a tweet from uh, Ori Avtalion. So he says, we have two tweets, one from Ori and one from Tomer, both Israelis, as I recall. Um, these guys know their technology. They both commented on the difference between a virtual machine and an emulator. So Ori says, ScumVM's engine is a virtual machine, but not all the game engines implemented by ScumVM fit that definition. So that's a little bit cryptic, but I think what he means is that... Oh, so he says, I'm sorry, Scum's engine is a virtual machine, but not all the game engines implemented by ScumVM fit that definition. So that makes sense. So the Scum, uh, mostly LucasArts and the other licensed games that use that engine, those use a virtual machine, but not all the game engines. I guess like SCI and AGI, the Sierra Ones and others uh, don't fit that description, definition. So thank you for that clarification, Ori. Um, do you want to read Tomer's tweets sure. on this? And uh, Tomer gives us uh, a, a three-part tweet on this. Fundamentally, emulation is re-implementing a target architecture in software, whereas virtualization is providing an environment for the target architecture to run in an isolated sandbox. So in a sense, emulation is a special case of virtualization and one of the tools at the hypervisor's disposal. Yeah, that's neat. So let me, let me just take a look at this again. Fundamentally, emulation is re-implementing a target architecture in software. Virtualization is providing an environment for the target architecture to run in an isolated sandbox. Okay, so the isolated sandbox then would be like the emulated hardware and all of that stuff. Re-implementing a target architecture. Mm -hmm. All right, I'm kind of wrapping my head around this. Kind of. So in a sense, so emulation... So one involves software, one involves virtual hardware. That's yeah, what I'm getting from that's it. that's basically it. That's basically it. Oh, so let's see. Re-implementing a target architecture in software. Okay, well, I, I still feel like I can't sufficiently articulate this very well. And I think he probably did, and I'm just being a dumbo right now. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Now we're on to the letters. letters. Oh, my gosh. We have a torrential downpour of letters. Which is fantastic because... Just from two people, really. But True, but still, we were saying, we want more letters. Of we, course, when it um, rains, when it pours. It, yeah, it poured. I think I would think that we got a bit of a flood with this one. I think so. <laughs> so we got some... Uh, why don't... Uh, why, why don't you start with, the, with these so-called anonymous ones? We started off getting... These incomplete <laughs> emails from a mysterious stranger. Um, and, uh, oh, well, you go ahead and read them. Okay. So, ultimately, this mysterious stranger's name turned out to be Chris Morrow, I think. Mm -hmm. So, our, 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 new, our new listener and stranger writes, Hi, Brian and Bianca. Heard about your podcast from Anatoly. Hi, Anatoly. Right. From On Dos Nostalgia. Really enjoying it. Nice to hear more from Canadian I think that should be Canadians, but I'm guessing it cut off. There. I think it, I think he said much more than that, but that's yeah. where it cut off. Next. <laughs> Hi, Brian. I realize you're on, on with Joe sometimes because your voice is familiar. Ha, huh. I'm a big fan of Sierra Games, mostly Space Coup. I'm guessing that's supposed to be Space Quest. Space Quest. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally he writes. Oh, yeah. Hi, Brian. I thought you may enjoy some music. Album covers are fun, too. New Retro Wave. Enjoy. And so he includes a YouTube video, which we'll put in the show notes. Oh, yeah. Vermilion by Syntax, or is it Syntax by Vermilion? 
vermilion, comma, syntax is what I will just put in the show notes. And Until you check out. the video. That's Well, I already did check the video and it didn't really, that's where I got the name of it. It didn't really clarify for me. But it was like some awesome, like, electronica synth wave kind of stuff. So it totally floats my boat and it, you guys should check it out. So thanks for that, Chris. So... And now we actually get a full letter from Chris. Oh, you want to tackle this one and I'll tackle the even longer one? Sure. Okay. This was, this one was, I would call it a fortress of text when we got it. And Ryan's broken it down into digestible chunks for us <laughs> to read fortress. on the, on the uh, podcast. That's okay. Let's read it in its entirety. Yeah, we'll entirety. read it in its entirety. So Chris writes, hi, Brian and Bianca. I started listening to your podcast this week and I've been enjoying them a lot. I found... I found about your podcast from Anatoly at Dos Nostalgia. I also know John, Joe and Trolls via Facebook from following former Sierra designers, two guys from Andromeda, and their new game coming out this year, Space Venture. Yay. I feel very blessed and thankful to find all these great people who have similar interests and backgrounds from the area around the world. From around the world. Your previous host, Chris, told his background on Dos Nostalgia, and I had a similar background to him. I grew up in a rural part, in rural south, in a rural area south of Ottawa. Boo! On a dairy farm in part. (laughs) Snore! Jeez, dude. (laughs) My parents' milk used to go to Hershey's factory in Smith Falls. Wow. Neat. Now Tweed, which is a weed operation. Ugh. Yeah, Tweed weed. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> if you ate Hershey's chocolate during the 70s to the early 2000s, you probably had chocolate with my parents' milk. Or um, their cow's milk, that is. Ugh. Thank you for that clarification. <laughs> <laughs> Our first computer was a 16-colored Candy 1000 in 1989. We used... Our saved up baby bonuses to get this new baby. Ha <laughs> ha. The following year, though, my brother and I whined and complained about it not having an HD a hard drive and how slow it was. So we got a used 256 VGA color 386 PC clone from a small company in Alamont, the home of basketball inventor James Naismith, Ooh. who were upgrading their systems. This 386 came with 250 megabyte hard drive, and I remember seeing them. And I remember them saying, "Kid, you'll never fill up that hard disk. You'll never hear that said to kids nowadays." Ha! <laughs> I have so many great memories of going to Radio Shack in Perth and ordering a game from Sierra. Well, of course, you're going to order in Perth. They have nothing there. It's a little shithole on the map. Jeez, dude! <laughs> Don't insult our kind writers' home. Have we been to Perth? It's a on the map. We probably passed through it going 100 kilometers an hour. Oh, probably. <laughs> well, we should wave to the cows next time we do that. <laughs> I would forget about it over the few weeks, and sometimes it took over a month to get the game delivered. Hmm. When I got that phone call from RS Radio Shack, it was like a surprise birthday gift because I would forget yeah. about it over time. Wow, these days are long gone, eh? Sometimes I miss this anticipation, but I do enjoy the convenience of Amazon and the instant purchase downloaded games from GOG, etc. When we first had our computer, there weren't many kids with computers, I knew, so I knew I was pretty lucky. There were a few with Commodore 64s, but that was about it. Fortunately, my older brother's friend had a current computer like our 386, and we were able to trade games, hints, and he opened up a whole new world to me, a phone number list for local bulletin boards. Mm-hmm. This was like the Wild West theme park for post-80s pre-internet kids. I remember in grade 8 being all nervous to call up a bulletin board service 
to get permission to sign up on their boards. <laughs> One of my favorites was called Bart's Bulletin Board, and my brother's friend pointed them out to me when I started high school. Cool. He was like a celebrity to a hidden geek kid like me. He also looked like Bart Simpson with spiky hair and the overbite. Ha! <laughs> he was gracious and friendly to me when I introduced myself as I geeked out over how much I loved his site. I'm still with him. I'm still friends with him today. Some of the trolls, how he learned English from playing Space Quest games. They also helped me a lot because I suffered from dyslexia, dyslexia growing up and found reading and comprehension very difficult. Adventure games, especially the Space Quest games, helped me build my confidence and made it fun to read. My first game for our Tandy was a three-pack game with A10 Painkiller, Hoyo Card Games, and something that got me hooked on adventure games. Ooh, I and think I had that too. And Sierra... Adventure Games in Sierra was Space Quest 3. Mm -hmm. I played this game often and was blown away when Space Quest uh, 4 got... And Space Quest 4 and got the CD version soon after. I love hearing Gary Owens and his golden pipes, God rest his soul. Mm. He was the funniest narrator I ever heard, and going back to those times, he still cracks me up. I got a good laugh at your podcast about rubberized playgrounds. My wife and I have reminisced about the good old days, too, with getting banged up and a leg arm cotton rubber tire webs as they had on those wooden play sets. Those were the days. Ouch. I'm sorry to hear about the loss of your birth, but good to hear about your new one. Having three children, I can relate to how quiet and strange it can be without the background noise when I am rarely home alone. Hmm. I was pleasantly surprised to see you are both fellow Canucks, which makes your stories even more relatable. Thanks again for your great podcast show, and looking forward to, to chilling to more Square Waves FM. Take care from the mysterious stranger, Chris. P.S. Sorry about the broken phone text messages, as I don't have a Twitter account and mainly use Facebook to communicate. Chris Morrow. Oh, thank you so much for the great letter, Chris. We love letters like this, hearing about people's histories and stuff yeah. like that. And pardon my resentment about Ottawa, but I lived there for 12 years, and it was miserable for me. Yeah, you're entitled, I think. Yeah. Nothing against you, Chris, but I just had a bad a bad time growing up in Ottawa. Hmm. And immediately hijacked, back, hijacked my way back to Toronto as soon as I could. Hijacked? I mean, uh... Hitchhiked? No, um... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Hightailed? Hightailed, yeah. <laughs> boing, 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 hightailed. Boing, boing, boing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was great. Thank you very much. Let's just peek through this to see if there's anything that we want to single out here. Ooh, Hershey's chocolate. Ooh, mm -hmm. weed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tweed. <laughs> well... That was all good stuff anyway. Thanks a million, Chris. Really, really nice to hear from you. Thank you very much for listening and for writing in. Yeah. Only thing I know about Perth is my mother talking about how much she loves it because she gets to babysit her friend dog dogs. Oh, that's also where um, Perth. I think that's where uh, Bram, my friend Bram, who uh, guested on the podcast before you were the host, he talked about puzzle games. I think that's where his wife is from originally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're a big, happy Canadian family. Always great to have another Canadian on board. Yep. So thank you very much, Chris. Should we should we give an update on our bird situation since he mentions it? Sure. Okay. Do you want to or should I? Um, I'll do it. Okay. So we hadn't. So I've been I've been getting updates from the breeder, and uh, unfortunately, what happened? And unfortunately, during one of the during uh, one of the uh, feedings, an attempt to wean, it seems that. Uh, he got the little guy got something caught in his throat, which may have either caused an infection, cut it, or somehow caused him to get a slight blockage, which led to him wheezing. 
Unfortunately, the antibiotics and antifungal course given to him by a vet didn't seem to have done anything, and so the breeder was ultimately left having to um, give me the, give us the bad news that, that she was unable to do anything for him. Mm-hmm. Oh, so the poor sweet little baby bird passed away. That's just the, the way it is with birds. They're super-duper fragile little creatures. Mm-hmm. So that's too bad. So we're going to wait for another one. There mm-hmm. were some more hatchlings. Yep. So they're about, at first, the oldest one should be almost a week old now. So uh, about seven weeks and we'll uh, hopefully get one. Oh, yeah. So they're, there's green cheek. We're, we're still, we still want a conure. So there were green cheek, conures, pineapple, conures. Uh, they're all green cheeks, but the basic, right. the options were the green, were the classic green cheek. Mm-hmm. It's it's a variation called the yellow side. It looks just like the green cheek, except it's got this big splash of yellow right across its chest and down its sides. It's called a yellow-sided conure. And a little bit on its shoulders and the tips of the wings. They're really pretty. And they have really colorful cheeks, too. Yeah, but it, does, it still has a little black head, which is so sweet. Mm-hmm. And there are pineapple babies. Mm-hmm. Which is what we were going to have before, which are really gorgeous. The pineapple conures have, like, red on the tummies. and it's super red tummies. Yellow and blue wings. They're really, really beautiful. They're all really beautiful. So the bad news is it's going to be another two months or something until we get a birdie now, mm-hmm. which is a shame. We were hoping to get our bird in a week or two. Mm-hmm. So we feel terrible after getting all these pictures of that adorable little little guy growing up. Mm-hmm. So we get to do it again anyway. We get we have to wait a bunch, but we'll get a lot of amazing pictures anyway. Mm-hmm. We'll make some terrible high-pitched shrill squeals as we look at, it, at the pictures together. Yeah. But I did get pictures of uh, some recently hatched conures, and they're tiny, helpless little animals. Tiny little wriggling chicken breasts. <laughs> yeah, they're they're. I think they're cute. Mm-hmm. Most people would disagree. I think. Yeah, it's all, Anyone who's had a bird will think that these little things are adorable. Mm-hmm. So that really sucks. But that means that when we do get our bird, the weather will be nice. We can have the the balcony door open with the screen closed, of course. Mm-hmm. And it should be a nice, pleasant environment. And with the door open, we'll be able to hear other birds and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, of course, recently my dad tells me, because he has two budgies, he goes, if mine did have eggs, I wouldn't, I, I would let them hatch. I'm going, oh, fuck, what does that mean for me? What do I have he to do? He would let them hatch? Yeah. So what, he's going to have, like, 12 birds in his house? I don't know if he's thought that through. <laughs> What's think, he going to do? I don't know. I think he would do what we did, which is have like one or two, and keep like the one or two eggs. Mm-hmm. Of course, he, I don't think he realizes how many eggs it's possible for these damn birds to lay. Yeah, they do between six and ten or so per clutch, don't they? Uh, a healthy clutch is usually like six or seven. Mm-hmm. Fertile clutch would be like up to nine. If And then, and then usually first-time layers and and... Or will be about uh, four to five. Mm-hmm. But then they'll do it like twice a year. Um, twice a year is the generous way of doing oh, it. Man. Some birds will go, like they'll do one clutch, kick the kids out, immediately get back to work. Oh my gosh. So yeah, he better he better consider that decision very carefully because it sets a precedent. It's not a one-time thing, right? Exactly. The only reason, and I think we got lucky because our female budgie, I don't think she, if I hadn't, if I had put her second set of eggs in the nuts she would have considered sitting on them but she didn't give two shits about the uh eggs so she just like crapped them out left them on the floor and neglected them so i just picked them up and, threw, and tossed them because she didn't really care mm-hmm. this was a bird who laid on an eggs and decided that she didn't want to do it anymore but it didn't seem to stop her male companion from having his jollies <laughs> that's oh man 
Did they ever? So that's it for those of you that have a male and a female budgie that uh, begin to breathe. Just consider whether you want to let them go through with it because it's a big responsibility. Because budgies that live a long, healthy life, they'll they'll have like a hundred children without exaggeration or more. So that's something that you kind of want to plan for, and you want to set their the expectation for what kind of behavior you will permit, or whether it's a hospitable breeding ground. Because if it is, they will take full advantage of it. They're not predators, they're prey, which means that they have to proliferate very generously to keep their numbers up. That's just the that's just the nature of their... That's just what evolution <laughs> decided being. that their role was. Exactly. To proliferate cuteness. That's right. Oh, and do they ever. I know. They come from a country filled with these poisonous, venomous animals, and then there's the budgie. <laughs> that's right. But the venomous animals are all brightly colored and gorgeous, too. Do, but... But they just don't, I, I find it strange that they don't fit in in the same way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love budgies. Oh, me too. All right. How do we start talking about budgies? Because we mentioned birds and... Uh, oh, yeah. Once, and you, once, once anybody mentions birds around you, <laughs> you start chirping. Chirp, chirp, chirp. All right. So why don't we continue on then? With a letter from... From... Uh, from uh, Father Beast. Father King Beast. Father King Beast. <laughs> what? He's the Stephen King of our podcast. Oh, writers. yes, that he is. We have two from Father Beast, and we're so happy to hear from you again, mm-hmm. sir. Thank you very much for writing in. We're very happy to have you uh, sticking with us as, as our faithful listener. So, he says, hi, Father Beast here. I've meant to write for some time, but I've gotten way too far behind, and I've forgotten most of what I wanted to write about. So I'm just concentrating on a couple of subjects. Part one, the year in review, the best of the year in a few categories. Best movie of the year. Oh, I'm glad that he's. I'm glad that he's going back to best stuff of the year. Yeah. Best movie of the year, The Martian. I read the book because a bunch of podcasters were raving about it, and it was really good. Then I heard they were making the movie, and scenarios of all the many ways they could screw this up were running through my head. The movie makers came through, though, astonishingly enough. I th- I've read. I actually own the book, and I read it all the way through. I love the movie, but I think that the book is superior. Just because they get he we got so much more from the protagonist point of view, and just you get a better grasp of uh, how the protagonist feels being all alone in this foreign planet, and how he based and how uh, he gets to claim it in the name of mankind because it's like it constitutes international waters, and there's like no rules there. Oh yeah, I think in general those kind of fish out of water stories, like uh, the Hunger Games as well, they always benefit from the internal dialogue that's usually omitted from the movie version. True. At the same time, they did. They didn't. They didn't. Uh, the stuff that they did keep, they were true to the book. So it. They didn't add anything unnecessarily. They just omitted the uh, some of the extra internal uh, entries that he does that are that the protagonist uh, does. So in a way, I can understand why they would admit it, and I am grateful that they didn't add in superfluous content. Yeah. So good choice. Best game of the year, Banished. Oh, or because of the font, what we call it every time we see it. Burnished. Barnished. Because <laughs> of the font of like logo. It's a pretty, I played a bit of it. I need to go back to it. Oh, that's what he says. <laughs> I don't buy a lot of new games, but around halfway through the year, I had a little extra money and went over to GOG.com. I found this I found this game had somehow made it into my wish list without my knowing about it. Ooh, insidious. <laughs> but the description seemed up my alley and I bought it. It's kind of like Sim City, except you have a little band of people who have to come to the who have come to the middle of nowhere with a wagon load of supplies, and it's up to you to make them survive and prosper. 
I remember screaming at the game, why aren't you making babies? <laughs> Best music of the year, Hamilton soundtrack. My daughter heard about this play, which was getting some buzz because it's a musical, which is done as hip hop and has a lot of words jammed into a relatively short period of time. Then she checked out the soundtrack from the library and we listened to some of it while driving around. Now, I don't like hip-hop, it's just not my thing, but this stuff was really good. My daughter bought the soundtrack, and my wife and I have gone over to our daughter's place to sit and listen to it. It's that good. The musical is about American founding father Alexander Hamilton, <laughs> hip-hop, and about with about half the play covering the American Revolutionary War, and the other half concerning government during the first couple of decades of the United States. It sounded like a yawn, but it really is very good. Oh, and it recently won a Grammy, for whatever that's worth. I've attached a snippet from one song featuring George Washington. Oh, that's awesome. That's that neat. actually sounds like it would be an intriguing way to revisit history, to make it a little more uh, creative. Because mm -hmm. unfortunately, when people do think of history, they think of it as a dry, bland subject. So if you can find a way to creatively present it, it can you can really do a lot for it. Mm -hmm. Because history is not just the facts, it's the stories and the people who are involved. Yeah, maybe it involves like a uh, marketing campaign with a wing walker on an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> I do like contemporary. <laughs> I like contemporary remixes of culture. That's a cool, and history. That's a cool thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Part of my cheap shot. Best moment of the year: a priesthood meeting I was at. This takes a bit of of setup. My church is highly organized, and each congregation is the members living in a certain geographical area. So my congregation was kind of getting small, and they decided to dissolve my congregation and add it to a couple of nearby congregations. So the next Sunday, I found myself going to church with a new crowd of people in the same building, though. So I go to my new class of men who are priests. Yes, it turns out that Father Beast is actually a priest. I was wondering. The kind of priests with a family and a day job, but a priest nonetheless. And they're having a get-to-know-you get kind of game for our class time. We would go around the room and introduce ourselves for a minute and finish with two truths and a lie about ourselves. And the other guys in the room had to guess uh, which one is the lie. When it came to my turn, my two truths and one lie went like this. I'm a big fan of the computer games Civilization, Half-Life, and Master of Orion. <laughs> One of the guys immediately pegged that the lie was about Half-Life. I asked him how he knew, and he said that he knew two of those things were awesome, and he had never heard of the third. So after class, two guys come up to me to see if I could play a multiplayer game of Civilization IV. I had never played any version of Civilization multiplayer, so I was interested. We tried to get together over the New Year holiday, but couldn't get the multiplayer to work. We're going to try again this coming Memorial game Day. Very cool. I recommend, by the way, trying Civilization V just because it's a newer game and the multiplayer stuff might work a little better for you. Yeah, it's got uh, good hosting options. Plus, it'll have better AI mechanics overall. The only thing is you would have to get used to uh, the hexagon movement as opposed to the four-way mo square movement. Mm -hmm. Well, if he's never played any Civilization game before, then he can pretty much start anywhere and that'll be his his uh, watermark. True. But Civ Four is fantastic. It's very good, but... I think Civ V would have uh, better advantages and better refinements and, the, and would have a, a better engine. It, it will be a little, little slower because of the processing that goes into it, but I'm pretty sure you can turn down the detail and uh, do and uh, just make it strictly a player versus player game, which will get rid of the uh, 
time spent processing uh, AI turns. Oh, right. Well, I mean, if nothing else, Civ Five is a newer game, so the multiplayer might work easier. But anyway, we hope you have a great time with uh, your new friends. Yep, have fun with them. This sounds awesome. So he goes on. Okay, I've got a bit. I've also got a bit to say about Scum VM. The biggest example has to do with the game Loom. I got the game, but heard about the CD-ROM enhanced version and a certain website. Okay, it was home of the underdogs. Yay had a kit that was supposed to upgrade my version. It had some esoteric instructions on how to burn the CD, which I couldn't figure out. So I took it to my brother, who is an IT guide by trade. The CD I got back from him worked after a fashion, but the audio files were somehow miswired, and the tones of the music were replaced with pieces of dialogue from around the game, and no piece of dialogue matched the place it was supposed to be, and some pieces of dialogue were replaced with one of the music tones. Ah. It's, that's hard for Loom, because music is so integral. I gave, up as, I gave it up as a lost cause. Enter Scum VM. I heard of this, but I was a little nervous because I'm not so technically inclined. But I eventually downloaded it and checked it out. It had less and has an easy... It had and has an easy-to-use interface. It just had to know where to find the game files. I tested it with The Secret of Monkey Island, and it worked. Furthermore, playing Secret under playing Secret under Scum VM was the first time I heard the music in that game. I had not as yet tried DOSBox, so I remembered the botch job of the Loom CD version. To my utter astonishment and delight, it just worked. And that's the best description of ScumVM. It just works. <laughs> so now ScumVM is installed on every computer in the house. And when my work issued me an Android phone, I also have it on my phone and regularly play the first two Monkey Island games, as well as Loom, both versions, and Day of the Tentacle. ScumVM is just a thing of beauty. That's what I've got. I know I'm sending this probably too late for your ScumVM show, but at least I wrote it instead of saying staying apathetically silent. I'm certainly looking forward to whatever you guys have to say about it. Father Beast. Well, dude, thank you so much for your letter. That's fantastic. And it comes just after our show, which is perfect. Yeah, exactly. Your timing couldn't really be better. That's great. Well, we love ScumVM. We're going to get to, we probably could have already gotten to, but uh, I played a game on ScumVM, two games on ScumVM this week, as a matter of fact. I forgot to write one down, so I will do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just so I don't forget. Yeah, oh, we're happy that you found it. I, we've we've used ScumVM a whole lot. Um, actually, have you played anything on ScumVM? I use it a whole lot. I played a few couple of games on there. Mm -hmm. What I especially love about ScumVM, for those of you that are technically minded, is that it's basically been ported to like every platform ever. Um, they ported it to the Nintendo Wii. They ported it to PlayStation Two. They played ported to Nintendo DS. I played a couple of games on Nintendo DS. It worked very well. That was a really pleasurable uh, system to play it on because it has a low resolution but relatively like good-sized screen, so the games look beautiful on there. And it was nice to play with a stylus as well. Um, Android. I have not tried it on my phone. I'm sure our phones would run it pretty nicely. Our phones are strong enough to uh, handle uh, ScumVM and uh, DOS games. Probably. I'd just be concerned about the battery life, and I don't know if it would perform very well. Well, you keep your phone plugged into the wall most of the, most of the time when you when you be playing it anyways. So. Yeah, I suppose so. That's true. Well, one thing that I did try on my phone once with ScumVM was The Seventh Guest. Just because it was like a two CD ROM game, and like those CDs, like holding them together, are like larger than my phone actually is. So it just was like a power trip to see that running on my phone once. So that was, that was pretty cool. 
So, yeah, thank you very, very much, uh, Father Beast. We've got another letter from him. Why don't we get well, right actually, to it? Actually, before we do that, oh, I think yes. you skipped one from uh, our... Uh, oh, my our, gosh. Yeah, we skipped one from Emmanuel. Hello. Oh, good. Okay, well, let's let's do that one before we get to the other... Uh, yeah, I'll do this one. Please do. Okay. So he writes, quick feedback on the last podcast. I use VirtualBox Portable. I only use portable softwares or make them portable via NSYS. What's, I wonder what NSYS is. Oh, I don't know. Why don't you look it up while I finish up this letter? Sure. But mainly to fiddle with it a bit. I tried to run Win9X game, but 3D acceleration and controller support was far from being good enough, so I gave up. It's probably better now. Maybe time to try Death Cars again. Mm. It's nice for testing purposes indeed, but... As I run a very clean Windows 10, as I said, nothing is installed. I only run portable apps and install it via custom iOS. ISO. ISO. I made thanks to NT Lite. Mm -hmm. It installs in 10 minutes and is ready to go. So I lost interest in running a virtual machine. If anything goes wrong, it's almost faster to reinstall the OS. Hmm. To try Linux, I think a live CD is a better idea anyways, albeit slower. I'm still amazed when I see an OS running inside of another another inside of another OS, but besides servers, I don't think normal people should care about that. Not that we're normal. <laughs> of course, I use DOSBox, but that's more of an emulator topic on which I'll probably have a lot more to say when you talk about it in a future episode. Cheers, Emmanuel Perion. Thank you so much, Emmanuel. That was a that was a really good letter. Lots of cool stuff. Mm -hmm. I just quickly looked up NSYS. It's Nullsoft Scriptable Install System. I think I think that's like their installer. That's kind of like install wise installer or install shield or something like that. Mm -hmm. A lot of applications use that installer. That must be what he's talking about. I assume so. Yeah, you see that all over the place. And Nullsoft, of course, is the phenomenal company that made Winamp. Hmm. So called the name sounded familiar. Yeah, so called because they said Microsoft was a huge company despite being called Micro. So Null is smaller than Micro, and they were smaller than Microsoft. So that's why they called themselves Nullsoft. I don't know where I learned that. <laughs> I never forgot that. Nullsoft, by the way, getting off topic, they also had a really neat peer-to-peer -peer file sharing program called Waste. It was like literally peer-to-peer, -peer. like you connect with one other person, and the two of you can share files with each other. And a really neat feature uh, about it was that you can have it send a bunch of garbage data when you are not actually sending a file to each other. So that's a way to kind of, and it sends it to from party to party encrypted. So there's really no way to tell when it's sending an encrypted file or when it's just sending garbage between files. So it was a really good way to, that's why they called it waste, I guess. It was a really good way to uh, just kind of befuddle anyone that might be uh, doing like a wiretap snooping kind of a thing, man in the middle attack. Uh, I digress. Oh, and he also mentions NT Lite, which I think I used before. Let's click on the link that he gave. I'll put these links in the show notes too. I believe, yeah, the cutting edge Windows configuration tool made by an independent developer. I believe I've used this before. It lets you kind of uh, chop down what gets bundled with your Windows install. It's for doing custom installations. Yeah, and I think I might've used it as well. Yeah, it sure seems familiar. Yeah, I, I think we might have used this some time ago. Yeah, probably on Windows XP when when stuff was yeah. more tightly bundled than it is now. It's like a, a scripted installing kind of a thing where you can make an answer file to automatically do an unattended installation, but I believe it also lets you bundle in third-party apps. 
so that once you install Windows, it also installs other stuff. And maybe maybe we can uh, coax Emmanuel into talking more about why he runs Windows with only portable apps. That's a really interesting thing that you don't see a lot of. It sure keeps your OS nice and clean, that's for sure, and it makes it really portable in case you want to switch between machines or format a lot, I guess. That's that's more uh, more bother than I can than I can go through with myself. I play too many games with like system hooks and APIs and stuff like that that I just install things and let them go where they need to go. Yeah. Well, thank you, Emmanuel. Very good to hear from you. He and I have been chatting a little bit this week as well. He's a super cool guy, and he is into all the music that I love, which is which is great. So, which to say that to he has bad taste in music. Sure. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it, there, Tuts. <laughs> Well, because we know that you have lousy taste in music, and my taste is superior. I beg to differ. You can beg all you want. Oh, I, I, I will. on your knees right now, and we'll see how much you can beg to differ then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know my problem is. Oh, you're, you're, you're just some kind of terrible sea hag. That's all. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I'm glad you agree. <laughs> and we have one more from Father Beast. Shall I tackle this one, too? Yes. All right. Father Beast, great to hear from you again. It really is. He says, Hi, Squares. First, I'm sending you a higher quality version of the same song segment I sent you last time. If you play it, please use this one. I will uh, I will uh, put that in the show notes. Second, you guys mentioned that you were playing a number of stupid clicking games, which is what I call which is what I named the bookmark folder I put these in. Oh, it looks like you have a someone who <laughs> categorizes his games ridiculously as well. Yay. <laughs> such as Adventure Capitalist. So I will recommend Clicker Heroes at clicker, clickerheroes.com. Oh, we play that thing on Steam a bunch. Yeah. I can't really stand to look at it anymore. It's a good game. I just can only play so many clicking games, so I picked Adventure Capitalist. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to commit yourself to one. When you play more than one, you spend a lot of time clicking. Third, I thought the episode was just about Scum VM, and so I didn't say anything about DOSBox, which is probably the only other virtual machine that I regularly, regularly use. So here goes. DOSBox isn't quite as user-friendly as ScumVM, but it was nice enough for me to use after I studied the README file for a while. So now I have a directory on my C drive which has all my DOS games I want to play sometimes, such as Lemmings, Tank Wars, Fairy Godmom, or Betrayal at Crondor. I have DOSBox set to use that directory as if it were the root of my C drive. It's useful, but if it's an adventure game that will run under ScumVM, I will use that instead, and I'll tell you why. DOSBox is a simulation, which is fairly heavy on system resources. I mean, it works fine on my 1 GHz machine running Windows XP and my more current 2.4 GHz Windows 7 machine, but the old Pentium 200 running Windows 98 and my Pentium 200 laptop running Windows XP are not very up to the job, and DOSBox just chugs on them. I do the thing which reduces lag and do the frame skip thing, but it's still kind of a chore. ScumVM doesn't have this problem, and if a game runs under ScumVM, it will run just fine, even on the old machines. Speaking of that, by the way, he mentions that he uses, uh, he configured Scum, sorry, he configured DOSBox so that the folder on his C drive appears to be like the C, the C drive root in DOSBox. I do that too. Um, at the end of your DOSBox config file, uh, there's an auto-exec area, so it will execute those commands every time you start DOSBox. So in mine, I have, um, I map a few different things to drive letters. So there are a few ISOs for games that I, for CD-ROM games that I play. So I use mount, what is it? 
mounts-t cd-rom, and then the location of the ISO file, and then the location of the drive that I want to map it to. And that means that it will take my virtual disk image, my virtual CD image, and map it to a drive letter. So that allows me to play games without me having to fiddle around with the mount command. Um, then I also, of course, mount my games folder. It's like g colon slash DOSBox or something, so that that appears as the root C drive of DOSBox. And finally, the last command I put in there is dir slash w because that's usually the first thing I would type anyway. So my recommendation is to put dir slash w into your auto exec at the very end, just so that it helps you see and think about what you want to play when you start DOSBox. All right, sorry, back to the letter. Of course. Anyway, when I buy, when I buy old games from GOG.com, they will often install uh, with a DOSBox launcher, which is fine, and I just leave it alone. Unless it's an adventure game which runs under ScumVM, in which case I will move the game files to my ScumVM folder and get it to run there. Me too. I have a couple more things about virtual machines. First, since I have a Windows 7 machine, I heard that it had a virtual machine that came with Windows XP. This was of interest because there were some games that didn't work on Windows 7, which my wife wanted to play on our main computer. Unfortunately, it turned out that I just didn't have an expensive, expensive enough version of Windows to have Windows XP, so I just had this virtual machine with no OS on it. Like I had Windows 7 Professional and I needed Mega Professional or Ultra Professional or some such. My friend Tom came through with a copy of Windows XP Student Edition, which he had previously installed on my laptop. So now I have virtual Windows XP installed on a virtual machine on my Windows 7 <laughs> machine. Just wrapping my brain around that. That, wor that works. If you do have Windows 7 Professional, I'm pretty sure that Windows XP mode comes with it. But as I mentioned in our last podcast... Unless it's like a card game or something pretty slow-paced, you really cannot play games on uh, Windows XP mode. If you play Windows XP, if you use Windows XP in a virtual machine, though, you should be able to play 3D games. Although, if it works on XP, it'll probably work on Windows 7 and 8 and 10. And if it's pre-XP, if it was for Windows, or even if it's pre-2000, if it's on Windows 98 or 95 or ME or something earlier than that, then a, a virtual machine is definitely the way to go. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Or an emulator, depending on... Uh... Yeah, 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 depending on the type of game you're playing. ScumVM, though, uh, love it. That's that's the easiest way to go, probably. Also, my, my fiend, Tom, he probably means friend, had told me one time that he had a virtual machine running a 64-bit OS on his system, which was running a 32-bit OS. It sort of blew my mind that a virtual machine could run a more complex system than its host. I don't think it can. Ooh, any techies out there, please verify. I'm pretty sure that if you're running a 32-bit operating system, you cannot virtualize a 64-bit guest operating system. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure about that. My last story doesn't have an actual virtual machine, but it is along the lines of getting a game to work on a computer that's too much for it. I got the Ultima collection on CD, which had Ultima 1 to 8. So I was playing Ultima 2, which has you flying to different planets, and you have to click when a safe place to land comes under your ship. The planet was just going by way too fast to be able to do this. There were some slowdown programs around back then, but they generally just took up processor resources so as to slow things down. When I tried those, the planet landing part was like a slideshow, also impossible. So my friend Tom came through back then also, telling me I could go into the BIOS and disable the internal and external cache, and that should work. It did work. 
I had to make sure the machine was set to reboot to DOS when I did it, or otherwise Windows 95 would load. That was mostly fine, but one day I forgot and my daughter got on the computer. Windows 95 took around 10 minutes to load. Ouch. <laughs> and as if that wasn't bad enough, when she started The Sims, it must have taken 20 minutes to oh, be able to do anything. Oh. <laughs> and I was appalled that it ran at all. But my daughter just giggled at my outrage. <laughs> I hope you enjoy my stories. I still listen all the time. Father Beast. Of course we enjoy your stories. Oh, Thank you so great. much. Those are great. <laughs> oh, I love the stories where you think you're doing the right thing and then somebody else comes along and is the victim of your own stupidity. Yeah. Now, I do remember using a slowdown application called MoSlow, M-O-S-L-O, -O, which I will put in the show notes. I believe... Oh, there's a, the, I didn't realize there was a version for purchase because I've only used the free ones. Mo slow. I believe it allows you to specify exactly how slow you want your computer to be. It's configurable to some degree. I don't remember how that worked exactly. It's been some time. But I would recommend checking out Mo slow if you're still doing this kind of a thing because it was an easier, non-permanent, I guess I could say temporary, way to slow down your computer. I believe the way it worked was... If you're running Windows 95 or 98 or something like that, you would open up a DOS prompt, then you would run MoSlow. Sorry, like you would open up a command uh, window. You would run MoSlow from the command line, specifying how slow you wanted your machine to be, and then you would run your game from inside that same command window. You'd run your game, and then when it was all done, you would close that command window, and then MoSlow would be terminated. It would only apply to that one open window. If, unless I'm remembering wrong, I believe that's exactly the way it worked. So that was a good way to just kind of slow down one instance, one session, without having to slow down your whole computer. But something tells me that the BIOS way is probably the... It might be your best way to do it. If it if it works, then don't mess with it. So thank you very, very much for your letters. It's phenomenally great to hear from you again, Father Beast. We, we greatly appreciate uh, hearing from you, and we really appreciate you listening to us. Um, all right. My goodness, we got through letters. Wow, we did. Are you alive? I'm still alive. I'm alive. <laughs> Sweet. Let's continue living. Okay, so uh, how's but our time? We're, we're just over an hour, so we're, we're right on track, I would say. Awesome. And really glad we got some letters. It's always nice to hear from our listeners. Mm -hmm. Yeah, more please. We love you guys. Mm -hmm. And voice podcasts. Yes. Voicemails. Voicemails, whatever. Wow, so many, of our, so many of our friends have podcasts, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Although, speaking of Scumbium, it just made me remember something. Trying to set up a game for my dad because he was uh, saying, oh, I want to play something different. Setting up Scumbium and trying to explain to him how it works and showing him how it works. That was not a real battle if I ever I put a couple of Scumbium games on his computer when he had a slower machine. I gave him Full Throttle and I don't know what else. I think Phantasmagoria. Just because the, uh, the protagonist is a uh, nice eye candy. <laughs> Despite her ugly ass orange sweatshirt. Yeah. Oh, that shirt makes oh, me peach so colored sweater, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't think he ever loaded up either of them. He said he wanted something different, but all he really plays are first person shooters, huh? And, and Peggle. Thrones. Oh, yeah, that's right. He actually plays it. He's getting through. Oh, good for him. No, but he's doing it. Well, that's good. I think that's a good gateway drug to adventure games, so maybe there's still hope for him. Yeah. I fit, fit, and the only reason I got it for him is because I know he likes Game of Thrones. It's just the easiest, you know, way to hook. Mm-hmm. One of these days, we'll have to hook him up with a Wajidai game. Yeah. his uh, I did show him a Wajidai game recently. Oh, which one? Techno Babylon. Oh, yeah, yeah. When he was over, you were playing that. 
Yeah. His first comment is, why were you playing why are you playing such an old game? I'm like it's from twenty fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> and to explain to him the concept of retro of like modern games as in a retro style with pixelated graphics. Mm-hmm. Have we mentioned, or did you know, by the way, that uh, Wajidai is going to start publishing higher resolution games from now on? I think Shardlight might have been their last low res game, or the, I should say, I think it's going to be their last three twenty by two hundred. Is it game? Mm-hmm. They're going to double the resolution to six forty by four hundred, I believe. But still leave it in that style. Yeah, because that would still, be awesome. Still pixelated. It's like Super VGA instead of VGA. Uh, that would be. I, I hope they keep their style. Even increasing the resolution would be is cool. But and I think it would be a great idea. You get more stuff on the screen. You can do a lot more. Mm-hmm. But I don't want them to abandon this the uh, core style of the uh, su- of Super VGA. Yeah, it's it's very distinct, and I love it. And it then, is because then they have those the really nice smooth. Like graphics when when you got the when you got your characters talking. Yeah, it's I think it's extremely charming. I think it's not for everybody. There's a lot of people that really refuse to buy a game as soon as they see one screenshot and see that it's that low resolution look. So maybe they're going for a new market. Maybe they're just trying to grow a little bit and not pigeonhole themselves. I don't know. Yeah, I hope that when they I have I think increasing the resolution would be good because I because uh, you can do so much more with that. And you can still keep pixelated graphics, but still have more detail mm-hmm. in the higher resolution. And well, yeah. And I don't think we have to. I don't think we have to beg Wedge and I to like remember their roots or anything like that. I think we can trust them to kind of keep going along the same lines. Yeah. Like publishing games that were of a style from like a couple of decades ago. So I'm pretty sure we can trust them to yeah. keep up the good work. Mm-hmm. They've done such a good job. Although I noticed that um, when I started Techno Babylon, mm. let me show you if I can. There is actually a configuration panel. Oh yeah, for that's right. That's and, the um, and it looks like there's like an option to. Uh, uh, did oh. I just do something stupid? Shit. Pardon the uh, music, folks. Ah, yeah, you're talking about the Adventure Game Studio uh, option screen, the one that says, what resolution do you want to play at? How much memory do you want to put in? Yeah. Oh, I did uh, not you want it full screen or... Oh, settings. Was that it? Probably not. No, it was a different... I know the one you mean. It's like a little Windows window, right? Yeah, and it didn't... And, and yeah, it didn't of course, the one time it. I'm trying to look at something, it doesn't work and it starts running the game. Hang on, let me find an example for you. I have, oh, look, a Golden Wake Alpha <laughs> winsetup.exe. You mean this, right? Yes. Yeah, this is the Adventure Game Studio setup thing. So you saw... Yeah, so it looks like you can actually change your filters and make everything a little sharper. Yes, there's a few things that you can do. Um, here it is, resolution, 1280 by 800, for example. You can change the graphics filter. 320 by 200 is the default. Is this what you were talking about? And you can choose these things to increase the resolution? Yeah. So these are, they call it a nearest neighbor filter, which I guess is probably kind of a misnomer when you're talking about this sort of a thing. So nearest neighbor filter, this basically means, I mean, the the filters are like two times, three times, four times. So that will essentially make it twice as big, three times as big, four times as big as the original 320 by 200 resolution. So that can make, it just changes one pixel into four pixels or 16 pixels or 32 pixels. It just makes a bigger square basically for each pixel. Okay. Um, so it's not, 
it displays in higher resolution, but oh, it, the graphics won't really look any different. Yeah. Smooth scaled sprites. Hmm. Oh, smooth scaled sprites. That has to do, I believe, with if you have if you've set up a scene where your uh, where your character can walk like at the bottom of the screen is in the foreground and the the top of the screen like is further away in the distance and your character gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, I'd love to hear from you AGS guys. My my guess is that smooth scaled sprites means that if you're running the game at a higher resolution, for example, with the four times nearest neighbor filter to run it at 1280 by 800 resolution, I think that it will kind of use that full resolution to scale your sprite down. So if your character in the foreground is like 30, 30 pixels high, um, maybe when you like are halfway through, it will be like eight pixels high or something, and it will look at like half the fidelity by the time it's really small. Whereas if you yes. use smooth scaled sprites, it will just have like smaller squares, which mm -hmm. is not really true to the full resolution like it's supposed to look in the old days, but it looks a little smoother. Mm -hmm. So it keeps all the detail of your sprite by kind of cheating, by using resolutions that the game wasn't really programmed in. I hope I described that well. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because I was noticing this. I hadn't. I decided against reconfiguring, but I just, I was curious one day, and I just like, ooh, what's set up? <laughs> yeah. So usually they do a good job of configuring this stuff for you in the AGS uh, Adventure Game Studio setup application. I've broken games before by not, by changing them. And I've also fixed games that I couldn't run by changing the settings. So I think, but maybe that's just for alpha and uh, free games that I was playing. Usually if they sell it on Steam, then it's configured to work right out of the box. Mm -hmm. Because you, you're playing to a larger, uh, you're appealing to a larger demographic and not everyone uh, is comfortable uh, tweaking and configuring and uh, breaking their shit. That's right. Oh, and under graphics filter, they also have two, three, and four times anti-aliased filters. And those are those are filters where the higher you turn it up, the more you can hear Ben Chandler crying from all the way in Australia. <laughs> in that case, I'll do it. I want to hear I want to hear Australia's Dale crying. I wonder what it sounds like. It's like it bounces like a kangaroo. Well, well, well. <laughs> what am I talking about? I don't know. Me neither. Obviously, you haven't finished your hyperjuice. Apparently not. Want me to finish it for you? <laughs> sure. Okay. How cool? No, don't. Hands off my monster, woman. Wait a minute. <laughs> Hands on my monster. Look okay. at this. Hey, beat it. I'm keeping this forever. My Golden Wake Alpha build. That's so cool. I remember a couple of the puzzles were replaced by... You remember the old map in the beta version of uh, Shardlights? Yeah. Some of the puzzles look like that, too. There's like a silly black and white drawing that said, like, insert puzzle here. <laughs> and, it was uh, really cool. Here's a, here's a roughly drawn circle. And it looks, it, it, it was kind of neat. Yeah, speaking of shard light, I love how the map actually wound up translating well into the uh, into the uh, candidate release. Because it was pretty yeah. similar. Because they had the circles. I was wondering if they were going to do anything or if they were going to keep circles. I'm glad they kept the circles. That's kind of neat. Yeah, they kind of storyboarded it, I guess, so that it looked... The, the rough version looked a little bit like the final version. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it looks good. In all the Wajedi games, they seem to do that a little differently. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a text label that you click on. Sometimes it's the shape of a building that you click on. In sometimes it's a subway. Sometimes there's no map. It's just pictures of a building. It's really cool how they or don't have a system. Or if you're Babylon, you have your phone and you like, tap your location. Oh, uh, like your GPS. Yeah. I love that screen so much. Ben did an amazing job of that, that screen. That was a with, great like, screen. the car driving on the, on the mm -hmm. elevated highway. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm just, I'm kind of surprised. I'm just looking again at my Golden Wake Alpha folder where I have all of my save games. 
I have 20 saved games. They're about four or five megabytes each. When I highlight them all, I've got 78 megabytes of saved games. 78 megabytes of That's uh, incredible. Of broken stuff. And how many ways can you possibly fail the airplane segment? Oh, brother. <laughs> there were very few things broken in the alpha. I played the alpha all the way through. I think I only reported one game-breaking bug. And that was when he just, like, used the wrong pointer in some dialogue tree. So the the... It was like the bellhop or something, the, the receptionist at a hotel would like start saying something and then he would go back like three sentences and say it again over and over and over and over forever. <laughs> that was kind of neat. And that was like a like two keystrokes to fix or something, but that was neat to see stuff like that. Yep. Um, it seems that most of the stuff he reported for this was uh, mostly syntax, like mostly grammar. Uh, and uh, I don't think any of it was grammar. I found like a couple of typos. It's you. You probably have to work really hard to correct Francisco's grammar, mm -hmm. at least in a in a game. True. <laughs> although we although we did point out that the walking was kind of awkward. Oh yeah, he mentioned that actually in the commentary of the game. He said he's mentioned on his podcast before that he and a lot of adventure game animators just hate doing walk cycles because they're a lot of work. They're really hard to get right, and. Uh, he really didn't want to have to redo the walk cycle for Alfie, the protagonist, but he said that he heard from a few beta testers that it looked kind of funny, so he knew that he had to do it. If a beta tester saw it, then, the, then his customers would see it. So good for him. Mm -hmm. It looks perfect now. Yeah, it does. That was something that amazed me about Shardlight, by the way. Well, they put a cape on her, so that's probably why. So they could say, I had to do less work on the walk cycle. Oh, well, that's cool. That's a really fun, flowy kind of a thing to animate, too. But what amazed me was... Uh, after you get through the very opening scene, you're kind of out in the open world uh, and in your little town, and there are so many like NPCs walking around. So oh. how many walk cycles did Ben do just oh. for someone you see on screen for like four seconds who don't say anything? That that was incredible. And having to animate the uh, and then for the uh, for the for the skipping sequence to to do that. Yeah. That's right. I've never, I never in my whole life have really cared much about animation unless it was like in games. I mean, unless it was something really exceptional. The only game I probably ever paid attention to the animation was Day of the Tentacle because mm -hmm. it was such a fun, flowy, cartoony, like fluid kind of a yeah. Especially look the to tentacles, it. they got them to move in a very in a way that didn't seem awkward. Uh, actually, I yeah, that's like true. That that jumping squish. Yeah. I love that. And the sound also adds to it as well. Mm -hmm. I think it was the characters most of all, though. The, the player characters whose animations I liked the most. You'll see for yourself. We will play that I slowly and thoroughly. I remember watching you a bit. And I think I actually played the prequel to that. Like, uh, oh, Maniac Mansion? Yeah, I saw that at school. Oh, really? Yeah. I never liked that game. I had yeah. to play it. I never got very far. I, I played like a tiny bit of it, and I also played Pajama Sam at school when I was in elementary school. We oh, had those as was well. that a humongous game? Pajama Sam. Was that a fish? No. Oh. It was like a really... I played like the older versions of it. Oh, it is a humongous game by Ron Gilbert. It, uh, he made Maniac Mansion, Ron Gilbert. Mm -hmm. and or the, like, there's a variation of Pajama Sam that was much older, because I know there are newer mm. versions of it. But yeah, I played like a really old version of like of this as well. Nineteen ninety six was the first one. Oh yeah, I must have seen it just before I uh, before I went to high school. Hmm. Neat. All right, what else we got? Let's see. Oh. What else? So yeah, so what have we been playing? Do we even well, start? We've been talking. We talked about Shardlight already. Yep. Um. What else have we played? Techno Babylon, of course. 
Yeah, we kind of have that on hold now, I guess. Or at least uh, you can you, you can go ahead and play that when I'm not around if you want. Yeah, you I've just... been playing it during the day. I'm at the uh, point where I get to a lab and I've listened to uh, the technician bitch about Baxter and uh, all these samplings. <laughs> oh, yeah. So now I, I got, got my, uh, my uh, sample sperminator thing. <laughs> <laughs> I got stuck there for a while, I remember. But I, I really like that game very much. That was a really well-written game. Yeah, the only place I've really gotten stuck so far is trying to find a stupid hanger on a stupid floor. And everything looks a stupid same. Okay, here's a floor with a bunch of gooey body parts. Now find the one piece of hanger that's sticking out of the floor. Oh, I don't remember that. You know, you have to get the hanger to create the fishing rod to get something else down in order to get the maid to talk. Oh, yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah, I got stuck in maybe like four or five places or something in that game, but most of it I was able to do by myself. Mm-hmm. All right. And you played a couple of, a couple of other uh, old-school games this week. Yeah. It feels like I go... F- well, I know that I go a long time without playing retro games, and I talk about new stuff all the time, but I played a lot of retro games this week. Uh, most notably... Um, earlier in the week, Francisco was posting screenshots of Quest for Glory 1, the VGA version, and he mentioned on his podcast that he loves all the games and that he tries to finish them all one after the other uh, every year or so, which is pretty cool. I really only like the first one, and I I love the fourth one, but I've never finished it, and I don't really care to because I didn't like, I don't know, a lot of things. I've talked about it before. I won't go into it, but Quest for Glory 1, I can play all the time. I love that game. So I started playing that. I got about a third of the way through or so. I'll go back to it again. Maybe. I don't know. I kind of feel like I got my fix. I think I also prefer the EGA one to the VGA one, although I love the art in the VGA one. The I don't know if they use puppets or what, but that art style is very strange and very different from other Sierra games. It looks really cool. Really, really cool looking game. Um, I also played Space Quest Three which I've come back to a bunch of times and somehow never cared enough to get past that very first area. It's a game I loved as a kid, and I finished it many times. I don't think I finished it in 10 years or so, but I finished it today. And what a fun game. What a fun, fun, fun game. Um, It's short and sweet. It's kind of to the point. It's mostly logical. Some things are a little tricky, but I just love that game. It's like really dangerous and it's just kind of condensed into pure sci-fi adventure goodness with a little bit of snark and a ridiculous fourth wall breaking whole ending sequence. Good variety, really cool mini games. It's so rare that I enjoy the mini games. I like pretty much every mini game. I even kicked some butt at Astro Chicken. That's that was that was a really good time. I'm happy to have played that. I don't know. Have you played anything else worth mentioning this week? Um, not really. I mean, I played World of Warcraft, but who cares? Yeah, I unsubscribed from World of Warcraft again because that's what I do. Oh, I guess that's like it that we played. True. Although I did play with my uh, non-heirloomed character, <laughs> so now I get to uh, trudge through burning a uh, crusade with no heirlooms. Oh, that's so grindy and slow. I know. <laughs> the only good thing I have going for her is she is in a guild. I was tempted to quit the guild, but I'm like, screw this. I need some XP help. Yeah, you get an, you get uh, you're inexperienced more quickly if you're in a guild. So depending on what kind of a player you are, or what kind of a mood you're in, maybe you want extra experience, or maybe you want to slow down. Extra experience means that you get to the top level faster, but it also means that... Uh, you miss a lot of uh, content along the way. You don't get to experience the world as much because you're just... Because by the time you get to where you 
by the time you get to another quest, you might have out-leveled that content, which is very likely. Yeah, that's right. Zones zones in World of Warcraft, they are from, like, they're appropriate for from one level to another, for a range of levels. So if you have too many experience bonuses, then you'll out-level the content, and there's not much, uh, like, gameplay benefit to sticking around after you're too high of a level. Unless you're uh, farming for... Uh the meta achievement of lore master, in which case you go through all the zones to do all the quests. That's right. Which you and I have both done. Mm-hmm. It took me years. That was, that was a fun one though. So there it, it's uh, rewarding, at least from like a gameplay story point of view to do an entire area, to do all the quests in one area. Cause then you get resolution of all the little story threads that are introduced and you find out what happens to the different characters and you have a proper introduction to the dungeons that uh, appear in that zone. And sometimes there's even overlap between zones. Like you might even get like, the end quest for one zone will take you into another one. And so you kind of have a bit of continuity between two zones. Yeah, that's right. And that's a game as tempting as it is and as encouraged as you may be to get to the highest level for quote unquote, the real game to start. So people say, and I will never really believe there's so much enjoyment to get out of that game. If you play it slowly and you play it like a regular RPG you just kind of take time to explore the landscape because there's so much to explore and to talk to NPCs, to read the quest text, to talk to people that are not essential to the story at all but are just standing around and might have something colorful to say. Yeah, sometimes I just stand in the inn and, and uh, listen and watch the text go by because that's because they'll sometimes have these clever little lines that I miss because I was in a hurry with somebody else. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, NPCs converse with each other and you can stick around and see what they have to say. Yeah, we've talked enough about World of Warcraft, but we've said it before, and I'll say it again. You can play levels 1 to 20 for free, and if you've never played it before, and if you can withstand a big download and some bandwidth that you use while playing, just give it a try. It's free. You can play for many hours for free without sinking any money into it. It's really, really good game, and there's no limitation to how much, to how long you can play for free. The only limitation is that any one character, uh, you stop playing them at level 20. And the free one. 20 or 21? Probably 20. 20. So some characters are severely crippled, but there's some classes that actually have all their have all their core skills unlocked at 20. For mm. example, Boomkin's pretty, uh, is pretty useful at that level. Yeah. All right. I put this under topic, even though we have no topic. <laughs> we were at a, we're at an hour 25, so I'll, shall I just tell this last story and that's it? Or do you have anything else you wanted to add? Um, no, I don't think so. All right, well, let me add this last little thing then. For some reason, I was in like a hacky mood and I felt like... Um, Breaking your computer. As always. <laughs> so I, I used to... Be, I, I was a, like an alpha... Not an alpha. I was like a beta tester, a technical preview tester of Windows 10. And that was so much fun because you get to watch the operating system take shape and see different icons come and go and find different uh, user interface elements introduced and tested and taken away. It was really dynamic and really exciting, and you got new builds at a fairly regular uh, clip. Um, I kind of missed that. So for the heck of it, I just tried installing the uh, Insider build, the current Insider build for Windows. Which means my computer becomes the designated entertained <sighs> Brian's bored-ass crap. I'm sorry. Yeah, you, you download the four gigabytes or so of content, and then your computer upgrades itself to the new version. It takes a good, like, 20 or 30 minutes or so. So I always beg Bianca to put some show on or something for me to watch during that time. <laughs> so sorry about that. And... Um, there were a few little bugs in the Insider build, as I should have friggin' expected, because that's what friggin' betas are, right? 
No. Shit, sure. I am. So a day later, I regretted it. Of course you do, as always. So what I had read was that Microsoft made it so that uh, previously you had to format your PC to revert from, uh, uh, like, you, you could not revert from an insider build to the main build. You had to format your PC and install it fresh. But since then, they've made it so that you can go to and from an insider build without losing your content, without losing your documents or your installed applications or even the icons on your desktop or anything. There should be no impact on your PC. Oh, that is so user-friendly. That's a really good way to get new beta testers. Exactly. And get more people to break their operating system, which is exactly what they want. Exactly. So that's cool. So that's that's what shaped my my uh, my opinion of whether to try it in the first place. So I did that, but then for whatever reason, I wasn't sure whether I had fully downgraded my PC again to the live main uh, build of Windows 10. So I remembered something that I had used previously, which was on Windows 10, you can search for contact support. So in Windows 10, you press your start button and you just type S-U-P-P and then the top the top uh, search result is contact support. So I click contact support and it runs a little app called contact support and it says, what can we help you with? It's either accounts and billing or services and apps. And one of the services or apps, whatever you call it, is Windows. So I click that and there's a whole list of things. Do you want support with Windows, Internet Explorer, Office, OneDrive, Skype, Xbox, or more? So I click Windows. It asks me, do I want help setting up technical support or protecting my PC? So I said technical support. So after you click that, um, it asks, how do you want to get in touch with Microsoft? So right now I clicked it. The options are chat online with a Microsoft answer tech, which gives you an instant messaging chat window right now to talk with a support uh, rep for free. Call me as soon as possible. Current wait time is one minute. So you click that, you put in your phone number, and Microsoft calls you for free tech support within a minute. You can schedule a call. If you're having trouble now, but you're not, you're busy now, schedule a call for four hours from now, and they'll call you in four hours. That and would also be good when uh, the queue is long, and you and you know that it's going to be like, let's say queue is estimated times like 30 minutes. You're like, okay, it's not time sensitive, so I'll ask them to schedule a call in 30 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Or ask the community. I appreciate that that's the last thing. Ask the community means it takes you to the forums. Usually you have to go through screen after screen to find out how not to ask the community. So I appreciate that so much. So this is my second time relying on it. I click chat online with a Microsoft answer tech. One click away and it connects me immediately with someone saying, hi, I'm so-and-so. How can I help you? What's your problem? So I typed in my problem. I said I was playing with uh, an insider build. I tried to revert back to... uh, well, I think the way I phrased it was kind of an ignorant way. I said, I, I, uh, I'm, I installed an insider build and I tried to revert to the uh, uh, main build. How do I actually revert to the main build or how do I know? And so the guy asked me like one question. He said, click the, he, and I, I was like, uh, I was not evasive, but I was like cryptic. I did not give a lot of information. I just wanted to see kind of what follow-up questions he would ask. So he said, click this, click that, and tell me what your build number is. So I said, oh, I'm build number whatever, and it's version number this. So he said, okay, one second. And so he said, okay, well, I just took a look at our database, and that is the latest live build of Windows. So you've successfully downgraded from the Insider build, and thank you for testing the Insider build. So the whole, the whole uh, interaction was like 90 seconds long. And I, I talked like a techie, and he 
didn't have me turn my computer on and off. And he didn't have me do a bunch of crap, crappy busy work. He just knew exactly what my situation was and how to answer that question definitively. Yeah, because you were not asked because you obviously your problem wasn't uh, this isn't working. It's um, have I successfully downgraded because I'm trying to check, which means that he obviously you need to know how to check it. That's right. Well, that was exactly my issue, but I didn't say it as clearly as that. I could have been I could have been clear in the way I communicated, but this guy. Like a native English speaker who knew his job, knew exactly what situation I was in. Mm-hmm. So he answered my question so fast for free without me having to pick up the phone or anything. Well, that free was, you, but not free to Microsoft. Yeah, that's right. So that was unquestionably one of the best tech support uh, scenarios I've ever had in my whole life. That's so impressive. And that's the second time now where their free instant tech support has helped me via chat. But they could call me if that's what I preferred. I appreciate that so much. I'm so, so impressed. So those of you using Windows 10, like that's basically the service that you can expect, at least right now, nowadays. It's really, really amazing. Mm -hmm. The only downside I've heard to this free support thing is that um, organizations like enterprise, enterprise organizations, companies and schools and stuff like that, if they're using Windows 10, Sometimes user will call that get support or they'll have that get support link uh, to give them help. And they think they're talking to somebody from the organization and not from Microsoft. So Microsoft can't answer questions specific to the organization, only about their operating system. So that so uh, IT staff are saying, please turn that feature off for the educational and the enterprise version. So I can see why they'd want that. Maybe that's something that they'll enable at some point. Or maybe that's already available. Supposedly... Windows 10 is like by far the most configurable enterprise operating system you can buy, at least Microsoft operating system. I don't know about uh, Linux, but nobody uses Linux in an enterprise. Mm-hmm. But I imagine they've probably done that because they know how the how stupid the average end user can be when it comes to uh, this technical stuff. Yeah, exactly. And when I say nobody uses Linux in an enterprise, I mean on the on the desktop level. It's very, very rare for exactly that reason. It was... Um, I don't remember if it was Berlin, but some German city made this huge deal about getting rid of all their Microsoft software because it was costing them so much money in licensing um, and switching to all open source software. And uh, a couple of years later or less, they switched back just because I suspect the biggest problem was the fact that they switched from one to another, not that they were just using open source and Linux stuff, but... Because they switched, everybody needed to be retrained, and nobody remembered what they were trained to do. But most of all, whenever they were trying to collaborate with other people, they were all using Microsoft stuff. And because these were the only people using like OpenOffice or whatever, LibreOffice, they had big issues with compatibility of file types and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's the fault of LibreOffice. They're the ones using like the open standards and all, and Microsoft is doing the proprietary stuff. But... That stuff doesn't that doesn't mean much when you're out in the enterprise when you're doing your your job, you don't want to have to worry about stuff like that. You just want to be compatible with everybody else. Yeah, for an end user, Linux is fine for specific types of environments. If you're looking, if you're running a server, you don't necessarily need it to be. If it's like just a, a data server where you're serving out uh, certain types of information, but not. Uh, and, and you just need it to do like to route email. You don't necessarily need Windows for it. You can use Linux. Yeah. But end user apps, unless you're uh, specifically uh, doing a specific type of operation, you don't necessarily, you may need something more universal. Yeah. But like I said, I think the biggest issue was the fact that 
Hundreds of people were using something, and then suddenly they were all asked to use something else. It's the same reason why so many organizations still use Windows 8, or sorry, Windows 7, even though 8 has come and gone basically and Windows 10 is here. My company still uses Windows 7 just because they're worried about training all their users. using it. They're all used to something old and having to switch them to something new. It causes headaches and it causes extra load on the on the uh, technical support people. True, but you have a lot of younger users, younger employees coming in, so you could start a transition. You could. It's a hard thing to do. Usually you don't want to do a transition, so to speak. That means that you're doing something gradually. Um, it's a lot easier in an IT environment if everybody's using the same thing. It gets really tricky if people have a lot of choices. No, I'm just saying you... Uh you don't give like you put up like you you say okay this is we're no longer issuing this and for all our current users we're going to go we're in, and we're going to gradually do department by department uh, transitions right that's basically the way you do have to do it and uh, it's painful change is painful for everybody change is painful but once it's done it's easier to deal with than just being uh, than uh, having to deal with the outdated stuff usually yes. Usually that's exactly what happens, but in the case of this one German uh, city, the government uh, office, even after they had transitioned, they found that their file types were did not play well with other people's file types and vice versa. Yeah. But, Sounds like they kind of just ham-fisted the whole thing. Well, they did. They yeah. did, they did it Who's for... A, a fist? Here's a ham. That's such a great... Uh, that's such a great idiom, I know. Um, uh, whatever. I think we said our part about that. Yes, we did. Ham fist. Right. Ham. <laughs> All right. Well, if you if you are also a ham enthusiast and you want to talk to us about ham and other and other delicious uh, mapley meats. Ugh. Speaking of ham, we had breakfast out today, and unfortunately, our ham wasn't done well. I well, mine was okay. Yours was crappy. Yeah. How the hell do you undercook friggin' ham? It's like the one meat that you can't possibly, you know, serve cold. I know. Well, our whole breakfast was like $21 with tax. That's why. You, you get what you pay for. They could have still cooked my ham. They could have cooked your ham. They should have cooked your ham. We come there for one reason, and that's for them to cook our food, and they didn't do it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, if you have any horrific ham stories, we would love to hear them. If you have any other stories, like the ones that our wonderful listeners uh, sent us today, thank you guys so much for your letters. I have I, I have no regrets dedicating a whole episode to reading letters. That okay. was fantastic. So please do get in touch with us. You can get us on the web, squarefm.demodulated.com, unless my web host is being crappy, in which case you can get there eventually. <laughs> you can catch us by email, squarefm at demodulated.com, and on Twitter, squarewaves, at squarewavesfm. So, love you guys to pieces. Thank you so much for dedicating so much of your time and sanity to listening <laughs> to us blather on. <laughs> sanity is right. That's right. All right, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Take care. Beep. Beep. Bye. Beep. Bye.